morning. Morning. So good to see you. I feel like every time I preach, it's either going to be a five-minute sermon or I'm not going to have enough time to preach the whole sermon. So we'll see where we land today. And do excuse me if I'm a little congested or loopy. My allergies have been crazy, and I doubled up on the Claritin today, plus the Mesa cord, just because it's been out of control. Have you ever seen a microscopic picture of what pollen looks like? If you haven't, you should. It is fascinating. They have like these little hooks and little thorns and they kind of stick to wherever they are. That's why pollen is so allergic, causing. Um, that's just free stuff. Nothing to do with the sermon. Um, but yeah, the, the, the clouds of pollen have been intense and insane. We just got the car washed on Friday and it is still green and yellow again. So... We are going to be this morning out of Romans, like Dan said. Dan has been preaching from Revelation, and I've really enjoyed his uh, series on Revelation. And he graciously offered for me to take the next chapter of Revelation, but I graciously declined. Uh, uh, He's a much better preacher than I am. I don't know how he's managed to do such a good job with Revelation. I just didn't want to even touch it. So... We're just going to do some easy stuff today. Romans 5. That one, this one's easy. So you might not leave this place learning anything new that is totally okay. We'll just be reminded of the power of God and the gospel to, to bring us peace. And so, yeah, this one's pretty elemental and pretty basic. And I was like, that's, that's mine. That, 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 I can do this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and uh, normally I like to, whenever I can, offer to preach for Dan to give him a break and... Um, I'm going to be gone and traveling and working most of the summer. And this was the only Sunday that I was like, I can actually volunteer and it's Romans 5. So it worked out great. So let's read the first, the first verse of Romans 5. Win-win situation, bro. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Mm-hmm. We'll do the next, the next and then we'll go back. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And the next one. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Is there one more? Oh, yeah, oh sorry. Perfect. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with God's love. Even though we're not talking about Revelation, we are a little bit continuing this idea of the trials and tribulations that we suffer when we go through life. So we are going to get to that a little bit. And there's a big piece of that in the book of Revelation, right? Dan has been preaching on on the bulls and and the judgment and some of the the, the moments and the images there and and the book of Revelation, which um, at the beginning of the series, Dan and I were talking and, and we were saying how really the book of Revelation just boils down to God wins. Amen. Right. That, that if you want to just boil it down, the book of Revelation is God wins. And I think these verses are, are still very similar for us and maybe really essential for us to understand a lot of the teachings that are present here and in, in this in this moment. So let's go back to the first to the first verse. Thank you. 
So the first, so there's going to be several teachings and points that that these verses uh, give us. The first one being, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, I love the construction of this verse, and I think it really challenges for us in America in this 21st century Western individualistic framework that we have. This idea that salvation comes only because of what you have done. Now, let me be clear. I do believe there's an element where you have to choose salvation. But the verse really reframes that, right? And what Paul is teaching us here, he says, since we have been made right, meaning someone else made us right, right? And the vehicle for that is faith, or maybe a different way of understanding is because of faithfulness. The faithfulness and the character of Jesus. Right. Yes, we we choose Jesus, but it just so happens to be that Jesus was a faithful vessel to get on. Right. If you think of, for instance, we were going yesterday across the uh, uh, by Wiscasset and we crossed the the BIW, the shipyard. And those those there's this big, big, big boats. Right. And if there was to be the ships, yeah, if there was to be a big um, hurricane coming our way to to, to bath and then there's a small six foot boat and then there's these military ships. And if I was to ask you to bet which one is going to survive the storm, well, reasonably, most of us would say the military ship, right? And when the storm passes, and in fact, the military ship survived, it is not because of us or because of our bet, but it is because of the great design and engineering that went into making the ships, right? They are meant to survive the roughest of storms. And I feel like in many ways that is very similar to what the ministry of Jesus was on earth for us. Jesus was this vessel of great faithfulness, this character that really lived all of God's love and image and power was in Jesus, and Jesus was acting out all of that glory and power and godliness and peace on earth. So when we choose Jesus, we're just simply betting on the ships from BIW. It's not that, you know, it's we're that great and we're that smart, right? It is the faithfulness of the character of Jesus that has made us right in the sight of God. Our bet is on Jesus. Our bet is on Jesus' character, on Jesus' ministry, on the person and the divinity of Jesus. That's our bet. It's not us. And it's not on us. Right? And I think, I find that to be really really liberating because it doesn't depend on you you will not disappoint god amen oh wow right god is not waiting on you god is not dependent on you the character of jesus is already there and really what we're about and what christian ministry is about and discipleship is about, it's about learning to see that this boat will survive the storm. Yeah. And to continue with the analogy for a second, I think if your life is anything like mine, most of us 
half put our bets on other boats. And we quickly realize that professional attainment and and success, it doesn't survive the storm, does it? Finances, it doesn't survive the storm. Maybe the, the, the credibility that we might have in our community or amongst our friends, maybe even our family. We think our family is this like boat in which we're going to put all of our bed. Families don't always survive the storm. Sometimes we, put, we place this bet even in our own health. And then you get that random diagnosis that just makes no sense. Even though you work out and you eat right and you do everything well, our health doesn't always survive the storm. Surely politics doesn't. Surely, you know, global leaders, Gates and and Elon and all these, they don't. Surely substances don't. Right? But Jesus does. Amen. His character does. It is through the faithfulness of Jesus and our faith in that faithfulness Mm -hmm. that we have been made right with God. And notice how different that message is that sometimes the message that we hear, right? But what Paul is saying, because of Jesus' character, God sees you right. Yes. And later on, we won't get to this part of the, of the verse, but if you keep on reading Romans 5, if you have a chance to read on your own the, the 12, I think it's 12 verses in, in this piece later today, you'll see that at the very last line, Paul says that it is because of Jesus' faithfulness that we are then called friends of God. Right? Think of how radically different this idea is of our connection with the divine, that our relationship to, to the divine is a friendship, not of subserviency. The way that we would expect God, if I was God, I would create a world where I am God and you serve me, right? Like that, that's, that's the kind of world that I want to create. And in fact, if you read the mythologies of a lot of gods in history, that is very much the story of the relationship of the divine with the created order. But what Paul is saying is something that is really important and really, to me, amazing about the gospel is that the gospel teaches us that the character and the faithfulness of Jesus puts you in a position where your relationship to God and the divine is a friendship. That is transforming and radical, and different. It really should change the way we see and talk about our relationship with God on a daily basis. God is not against you. God is for you. God loves you. God has accepted you. And God says we are friends, and our relationship is in such be, be of such a friendship, right? You know how you enjoy spending time with your friends? And like those real, real good friends where you don't even have to talk about anything. You can just be and exist together in the same space. That is the relationship and what God thinks of you. God wants to spend time with you. Just sit on the couch with you. Just go on a walk with you. And you don't have to say much. You don't have to, you know, 
do much? God does it. And to me, that is fascinating. and something that I need to hear more often. That God is on my side and that God is my friend and that I didn't do anything about it, but it was the character and the faithfulness of Jesus Amen. that did it. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I just, I find that so amazing. And then the other piece is Paul says, we then have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So this relationship with God then is a relationship that is based on peace. And I think the antithesis of peace in this case is anxiety. To be clear, I'm not talking about clinical diagnoses of anxiety. That's different. It's chemical. It's different. Related, but different. But when we understand our relationship with God to be of acceptance and of friendship, and when we release ourselves from trying to make God like uh, likes us, like trying to make make sure that God is liking us, but we just accept what Jesus has done for us and instead of us, then we enter into this relationship of peace and not anxiety. Right? I have a whole other sermon. I won't preach it. But there's the, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you this for free. I think that is a really clear and big difference between the gospel and religion. The gospel of Jesus produces peace with God. Religion produces anxiety with God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right? And again, I won't go through the whole thing, but I really want, you, want to encourage you to think about that in your daily life. If the things that we consider of God are producing anxiety in you, then that's not of God. Mm-mm. And that's not of the gospel. Mm. Our relationship with God, because of our positionality with God through the work of Jesus, right? The big military ship, the one that's going to withstand the storm, mm-hmm. produces peace with God. In fact, if you look at the gospel and if you look at the story of salvation from the very beginning, this idea of peace is is often and constant throughout the ministry of Jesus and throughout the ministry of God's people. Every single one. Peace is always synonymous with our relationship with Jesus. Amen. Not anxiety. Peace. Now, I want again. I want to be clear. As someone who has a clinical diagnosis of, of anxiety, I do. Not all of my feelings of anxiety have to do with me not believing God. Right? There are also chemical components and DNA and other pieces. Right? But whenever we are dealing with that, our relationship with God is peace. It's not anxiety. It's that God loves you, and that Jesus did it. All you have to do is step on the big ship. Yeah, and again, it's not really about you. As if the ship is in fact that big and that strong and that well engineered, right? Just get on the ship. But it's hard. It's hard, especially when when we create these habits of using other boats. Yes. It's hard when we when we like to be in control. I know I do. Right? If it's up to me, I want to engineer my path into glory. I'll pave it. I'll maintain it. 
I'll design it and I'll put the flowers around it too because I like my garden. Right? All right. That's hard. There is this sense in which the gospel is demanding a radical acceptance of what Jesus has done for you and in your behalf. And gosh, that's hard. I want to do it. I want to be in control. I want to design it. But what Jesus says, what the gospel says, what, what, what Paul is saying is that we have been made right with God by the faithfulness of Jesus. And let, me, and, and let me just say something real quick. Nothing else would do it. No. That's the thing, right? Yeah. There's not enough right living, right belief, right action that you or I could do to make us right in front of God. Mm-hmm. It was Jesus. It has been Jesus. It's the big ship, the one that withstands the storms. Mm-hmm. Okay, next verse. To me, this is one of the mysteries of the gospel. Paul says, because of this faith and because of this faithfulness, both the, the you getting on the ship, but also because of the faithfulness and the character of the ship. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. I'll tell you quickly, I had this moment of undeserved privilege this week. I was really lucky to be invited to be, I don't know if you heard, but Bowdoin's president is stepping down next, uh, next academic year. And I was really lucky to be invited into the presidential search committee. So I'll be part of the team of people that get to choose the president. So, you know, but super, again, super undeserved. The first meeting happened this last week and it was in Boston. I was like, all right, this is what we do. We go to meetings in Boston. So I drove down to Boston. And we get to this fancy hotel, the Lenox, Lenox Hotel in Copley, Back Bay in Boston. Whoa. And then I received clear instructions to, I was driving a college vehicle, to take the van and valet it. And I was like, all right. I've, I've never valeted anything unless I really have to. And still then I'm like, hmm. But I get there and this gentleman comes, opens the door. It's like helping me. I'm like, what? Okay. So I like this. So, and then I'm using, you know, the college credit card. So I'm not even worried about the cost. That's the most amazing thing, right? Because I'm, if I'm valeting, I'm like doing the cost analysis, right? Is it $25 worth it or can I just do it myself? I didn't have to do the cost analysis. I'm deserved. Privilege, right? That is privilege. So I, I, I get there and we valet the car and we go up this like hotel that has the conference room. Did you know that in fancy hotels, they pump like air freshener throughout the AC? It's really cool. It smells amazing. Everywhere it just smells like roses. It was amazing. Undeserved privilege, right? And we're at this meeting, and I swear I'm not being funny. I'm not being sarcastic. This is real. I am the poorest person in the room. Like, I just am, right? Like, I just am. I am in a room full of lawyers and CEOs and professors, and I'm also the youngest professional in the room, and I just feel so out of place. Undeserved privilege. And then we go to a restaurant. And again, and when I, whenever I go to a restaurant, restaurant, I do the cost analysis. Is this really worth the $50 or the whatever dollars? And, you know, some, the, the, the chairman of the board of trustees is ordering wine, and there's just wine everywhere. And then they're ordering bourbon. And I'm driving, and I'm driving a college vehicle, so I can't drink, and I'm just crying inside. Because I didn't partake <laughs> of any of that 
undeserved privilege. And then we sit down. I swear to God, my wife was tracking my location. She knows that I'm, that I'm saying this is true. I was at that restaurant for three hours wow. from six to nine o'clock. It was a nine course meal and food just kept on coming. And I thought we were done, and then the steak knives come, and I'm like, we're not done. And then the chicken comes, and then the dessert, and I was like, surely this is the end. There was two desserts, right? It was insane. It, it was just, the, 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 it was so opulent, and I'm so just thankful to be in that room. Undeserved privilege. And I didn't have to pay for it either, right? Like, even better. I did come home at 1.30 in the morning, and I was exhausted. And then had to be back in the office at 9 o'clock the next day. So my undershirt privilege paid for itself the next day when I was exhausted. Don't you worry. Um, My point being that I didn't do anything to deserve it. And I literally told my my boss later the week. And like, this is is real. I'm not trying to be dramatic. But I, I just never thought that this little Mexican immigrant kid that came to the U.S. about 18 years ago at 18 with $300 in his pocket would end up being in this fancy hotel room with all these really powerful people eating a nine-course meal. I just, in my wildest dreams 18 years ago, I would have never imagined that that would be the case. That is undeserved privilege. I don't deserve it. I work hard, but a lot of people have worked hard. It's undeserved privilege. in my silly example of opulence and undeservedness, I think that's a lot of what Paul is getting at. Because of the faithfulness of Jesus, Christ is bringing us into a place of undeserved privilege. Because of what Jesus has done, and because of Jesus' faithfulness, you too are now invited to the nine-course meal, the expensive bourbon and the amazing wine. Like, you're in. You're in. Not because of what you had to do. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to just beg All you have to do is get on the ship. You're in. You're invited into the opulence. You're invited into this undeserved privilege. You're invited to be a co-sharer in God's glory. Wow. That is insane to me. Again, if I was God, I would have not been sharing glory. It's mine. But in God's design of full goodness and compassion and love, he designs the gospel so that whenever we jump into the ship, Somehow, and I I don't fully understand it. If you ask me, I don't know. We are sharing in God's glory. I don't know if that means that we too shine. I don't know if that means that we too are fully divine, but not entirely. Like if if you get into the intricacies of what does this mean? I don't fully understand, but I do know that when you get on the ship of Jesus, you get to share in God's glory. And you get to partake of the nine-course meal and the fancy hotel and the valet parking, right? That's the mystery of the gospel. That we're co-sharers in God's glory. I love that we were reading the psalm, and of course it's it's all related because that's what the liturgy does. Um, In Psalm 8 that Dan was reading, it says that God made us a little bit lower than God. Mm -hmm. Right? We're different. The created order is there. Okay, let me let me continue on and finish because I'm gonna run out of time. I told you five minutes or fifty minutes. So then, we can then. Oh, sorry. Last thing I'll say about this: the ministry of Christ and the ministry of the gospel is not about separation of the created order, but about unification. 
yes. of the created yes. order. Yes. The gospel is about the redemption and the unification of all things in Christ. Amen. The gospel is about the richness of the glory of Christ, not about the otherness and the poverty in Christ. A mature spiritual life that is rooted in the gospel has a rich understanding of God's grace and riches for the entire world because God and, and, and the person of Jesus, but God came to save the whole world, the whole materiality of the world, not just us. The whole world is saved. The whole universe is saved. It is the unification of all things in Christ so that we share in God's glory. That's the mystery. That's what's so just crazy bananas different than the way that we understand salvation sometimes. Right? And it is sharing in that opulence and in that meal. Okay. Verse 3. And then here's where it gets a little bit more interesting and complicated and we get to the revelation piece. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. The last two and a half years have been crazy. Right? Now, let me ask you, even outside of COVID, and I, you know, I won't ask you for any details, but if you or your family or someone really close to you has been through problems and trials in the last two years, you're like, man, that was hard. Raise your hand. Still is. Take a second and look around you. <laughs> outside of COVID. Right? And, then, and then there's COVID. I think there is a sense in which we have to understand the role that suffering plays in the development and in the character of the Christian life. And I think we're really bad about talking about suffering in the West, and specifically in the Christian version of the West that we have created. If you look at Orthodox Christianity, if you look at global majority Christianities, they have, I think, much richer developments of suffering and Christian maturity. But one thing is, 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 is interesting, and that is that suffering is universal to the human condition. Amen. Okay. All of us suffer. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a story that I heard that I read once. There was a monk who was in a monastery, and the monk was trying to, you know, to reach enlightenment and was doing his best to be the best person that he could be. And he found his fellow monks to be obnoxious and annoying and not helpful along the way. <laughs> so then the monk decides, you know what? It is their fault that I'm not uh, that I'm not attaining the alignment and the, the you know the, the, the level that I want to get at. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get on this boat. There's something about boats today. Just just go in. Just just yeah, just go for it. So he gets on the boat. It was not a ship. It was just a little boat. And he he rows himself into the middle of the lake. And he's thinking, surely in the middle of the lake, there's no one around. Finally, I will be reaching this point that I want to get. So then he puts his oars back into the boat and he sits down and starts praying, meditating, chanting, whatever he was about to be doing. Closes his eyes in his head. Some time passes and he's doing his thing. And then he hears this big thump. And immediately there's like anger and rage just comes out of him. Eyes still close. He still has no clue. He's like, I don't know what's going on. But something or someone just disturbed my peace. My peace. My peace. Thank you. He continues. He's like, okay. And then he hears like, the thump again. And again, this rage is just coming from seemingly nowhere. And then one more time. 
So he finally opens up his eyes and he realizes it was yet another boat, maybe a, a boat that became untethered or unmoored, and that just happened to bump up against his boat. There was no one there. It was just a boat. And the monk quickly realized that all the anger and the annoyance and the obnoxiousness that he was assigning to his fellow monks, it really wasn't them after all, was it? It was not the monastery that was the problem, was it? He alone in the middle of the lake could have enough anger and rage to go at for a boat, an empty boat. I think that Sometimes when the car breaks down, it's just an empty boat. When there's a leak on the roof, it's just an empty boat. When I've been joking that I've been trying to grow lupins now for three years and they're not growing and I spend like $10 on seeds of every kind, they're not growing. It's just an empty boat. I'm not trying to say that there's no moments in which people ram their boats against you. They are but we're not talking about those for a second. Often, a lot of the nuisances in life are just empty boats ramming against us. And it is just happenstance and accidental. And I think that's what Paul is saying. That's why we can rejoice. Not because we're looking forward to being rammed, but because when we run into problems, when there are empty boats running into us, we know that they help us develop Endurance. Next question. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Part of the thing that we have to do, let me make sure I'm not running out of time. I'm almost out. Part of the thing we have to do is to make sure that we don't understand the created order as separate than us and separate than God, but understanding that God is everywhere. And God is part of us, and we are part of God, right? Amen. There is no separation that we have to fight the laws of physics. Cars just break down, and boats just ram into you. What these things do is they help us develop our character to really see what's underneath there, right? Do you really want to know who, who, who your, your neighbor or your spouse or you know, your, your friend is? Go on a road trip with them. Do you really know who I am? See me hangry. I can be pretty pleasant after a nine-course meal. Just wait until I'm hangry, right? And I'm short and impatient and mean. That's, that's those folks ramming against us to develop our character. And I think sometimes some of us have been fighting against those empty boats quite a bit. Because we've been assigning to them some kind of like ulterior motive or bigger thing or thinking that maybe it is, you know, something or someone coming against us and just taking it so personal. But as we all saw for the last two years, basically every single person in here said, yeah, I've been through problems and trials in the last two years. Mm -hmm. I've had my boats come up against me. So what Jesus is trying, sorry, what Paul is trying to do here is to tell us, When the boats come up against you, and when you see that Christ is with the created order, not against the created order, then you just accept them, and you can rejoice in them and say, all right, car broke down. Yeah. What are we going to do? Right? 
I'll finish with this. I'll give you a super quick, super quick um, tip on how to deal with some of these trials and tribulations. Again, I am not talking about the trauma inflicted specifically because of others or the abuse of others. That would be a whole other sermon. <laughs> when trials happen, I want you to ask yourself this. Is this boat alone? Or did someone ram it on purpose? If it is just a part of creation, if it is just happenstance, if it is just the loss of physics, trees fall, cars break down, lupins don't grow. You ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? Anger? Anxiety? Hopelessness? Rage? And then you realize, I am a co-sharer in God's glory. I can feel confident in who God says that I am. I can settle in in the access that I have to God and I will be at peace. You can both deal with the car and be at peace with yourself and with God for the trials and tribulations that are coming at your way. And then lastly, I think Paul would want us to say, what am I learning from this situation? How am I developing character from this boat hitting my boat right now? What is it? about me? What, what rougher edge am I sending down right now? And how am I going to use this car breakdown to recognize, oh, 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 I still have anger. How am I going to use this like little humiliation because maybe my PowerPoint wasn't working when I was doing a presentation and all of a sudden I just feel this rush of embarrassment and shame. Oh, there's still some stuff in there, right? What am I going to do when my kid is, you know, Throwing a tantrum because maybe they were too tired and kids are just kids. Oh, I still care a lot about what others think about me. Mm. Right? Is the boat alone? What are you feeling right now? Then you recognize that you're a, God, a co-sharer in God's glory. You choose the peace of God and then you say, what am I learning from this situation? It is what it Let's is. pray. Heavenly God, we thank you for the teaching of your word. We thank you for the ministry of the gospel. And we thank you because you and the person of Jesus, you are that ship that will weather any storm. We thank you because you're not waiting or dependent on my right action or my right belief or my lack of doubt. Because you would know that I, I wouldn't be enough. May we as a congregation and as a people learn to fully embrace the acceptance that we're giving through the vehicle of the faithfulness of Jesus. Amen. May we learn that you are with us and for us and with creation and that the gospel is redeemed the whole world for you and for your glory. Amen. And may we understand that in, the, in those moments in which the, the boats are coming at us and and there's mechanical issues and health issues that often these are there for us to see those character development opportunities. So Lord, though we're not asking for them for this week, we do ask that as they come, will you give us peace? Will you remind us that we're yours? Will you remind us that we belong to you? And will you show us those edges that you still have for us to create more character and to rejoice in your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.